All right, we're going to get into now 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 to 9. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. Or that word grieved can also read distressed. That the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom, having not seen you love or known, whom having not known you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So Peter, again, doing an awesome job of just conveying the importance of, again, going through being distressed by various trials that prove the genuineness of our faith that again is so much more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire may be found to praise honor and glory at the revelation of jesus christ so we have hope people we have a great great hope in our lord and savior jesus christ Regardless of anything this world throws at us, you know, our personal trials is what I started out talking about. But quickly, I'm starting to see that we are about to see some real true trials of our faith in ways that we really can't even anticipate. So stand by, get ready, get on your knees and get active in prayer because we need to be strong, rooted and grounded in the Lord and in what he has for us in eternity, not what we're going to face here on this earth. So we're going to look now at the notes here for, again, First uh, Peter chapter 1, verses 6 to 9. In comparison to the, inter- excuse me, in comparison with the eternal inheritance and salvation to come, present trials are for a little while. Revelation refers to the return of Christ and suggests disclosure of what was unseen before. So again, Peter, you know, he says, whoming have not seen you love. So Peter, you know, he walked with Christ. He walked and saw exactly what Jesus was on this earth. And there's a special, I believe, gift, blessing, crown, whatever you want to may call it, for those who walk by faith in the unseen. You know, I mean, God proves himself to us. He saves our souls. He reveals himself to us over the course of our lives. But it's pretty incredible when you think about the fact that we have never physically seen or touched our Savior, yet we have such great faith in him that we will die for him just as readily now on January 18th, 2021, as they did back when they walked with him. You know, we are in the age right now of the church. We, it's an interesting note I read. We're kind of in an overlapping 
period of time between the um, first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ. And this is basically a time when Jesus is just revealing himself to the Gentiles, to the world, and to those that will hear and to humble themselves and, uh, you know, become part of his body. He blesses us with revealing himself to us through all our various trials, temptations, and um, tribulations we experience in this life. So we're going to flip forward now to 1 Peter. We're going to look at chapter 5, verses 8 to 10. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. So again, this suffering that we go through with these tests trials and these tribulations, you know, ultimately it's Christ Jesus who perfects us, establishes us, strengthens us, and settles us. So we're looking at the notes here for, again, 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 to 10. Resist. The active imperative indicates an assertive stance against the adversary's operations. Because of the devil's aggressive hostility, Christians must be spiritually alert, not only to withstand his attacks, employing the armor described in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 18, but in prayer and spiritual warfare opposing him. Quickly, I mean, this is why it's so important to be prayerful and to pray always, because you better believe, like it says here, Satan, our adversary, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. That's They are not light words, and that is a stern warning that we need to be aware and be ready for this lion that's going to pop out at any time, seeking to devour us, licking his chops. Realize that the only victory is found in Jesus and resist and flee and the devil will flee. So stay steadfast in the faith as verse nine says. All right. So we're going to look at this note again for uh first Peter chapter five, verse 10. God's eternal glory is contrasted with the comparatively brief period during which these Christians suffer. Trials are temporary in light of eternity. Thank God <laughs> they are, and I can say that they are. And although we are going to constantly be tried and tested in this world and on this earth, we must realize that <laughs> even the entire expanse of our lives, it's but a vapor compared to eternity. So picture a small vapor of, uh, you know, exhaust compared to just the the air and the vast expanse of the universe 
that is nothing compared to the eternity that our souls and that our victories will ultimately allow us to experience in the eternal realm. So we're going to look now, we're going to flip back to the Old Testament. We're going to look in Ecclesiastes. We're going to look in chapter 3 at verses 1 to 9. Just to, re, just to be reminded, you know, everything has its seasons, you know, so the trials, temptations, tests that we're going through today, right now, presently, thankfully, aren't going to last forever. So just endure, resist, and get, at, get on your knees, get to the foot of the cross, and realize that these are all going to serve an eternal purpose. So... Again, looking at Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 to 9, or excuse me, verses 1 through 8. To everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to gain and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to throw away a time to tear, and a time to sow, a time to keep silent, and a time to speak, a time to love, and a time to hate, a time of war, and a time of peace. So I love this verse, or these verses, or this section, this passage in Ecclesiastes. It is so applicable to every area of life. It just goes through perfectly how the seasons of life work, you know, the um, the mysteries of life, if you will. Again, it goes hand in hand with what I said in the foreword about, you know, you have your trials, you have your times, because where there's joy and happiness, there's also times for tears and sorrow. It's just how life works. It's how we work. It's how... I mean, I love when it says, you know, there's a time to plant and a time to pluck what is planted. So, you know, I mean, there's just, it's beautiful the way the author here just goes through, again, the seasons and the different sides of life that there are that we all experience. It's just an absolutely beautiful thing to experience, and it's a blessing to be, um, you know, privileged enough to have the almighty living God reveal himself to us, the masterful plan of salvation that God has through his son, Jesus Christ, how he revealed himself to us through Jesus coming here, living his perfect life, and then eventually being crucified. You know, it's the ultimate act of love that God, um, you know, provided for us, his children, um, 
He provided for us, the um, human race. I mean, what an amazing God to be so caring and loving that he would not only send his son to reveal his character to us through the amazing um, things that Jesus did on this earth, but then to ultimately allow Jesus to become that living sacrifice that would ultimately conquer sin and death. Um, quite a beautiful, beautiful God we have. And, you know, remember, <laughs> nothing this world has to offer will ever compare to what God's eternal rewards and offerings are for those that love and serve him and endure the trials and tests that life presents to us. So we're going to flip back up into the New Testament. We're going to look at Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I love that verse. It's one of my, those verses are two of my favorite verses in the Bible because, again, it perfectly lays out the fact the high priest there is referring to Jesus. You know, um, the amazing fact that Jesus was 100% God, but 100% man as well. And it's just amazing that God would allow himself to come here, be tempted in every way, never give in to that temptation, and be our ultimate sacrifice. And when Jesus resisted Satan in every way that he was tempted, he was tempted in every way that we are tempted, yet he resisted. So that is how he provides our way out, regardless of what we are tempted by, when we are tempted, or how we are tempted. God provides that way out and gives us that strength because he went through all of those trials and temptations and was tested just as we are. But amazingly, he resisted it every time. So there's so much I can do. I mean, gosh, this is just going to scratch the surface. I might do a part two already later on in the week about, um, you know, again, the trials and temptations just of Christ when he was here. And um, let's look now at the verse, uh, the notes here for, again, Hebrews chapter four, verses 15 and 16. A special encouragement to loyalty is the human sympathy of our great high priest, that is Jesus. Come boldly literally means without reservation, with frankness, with full and open speech. We approach a throne of grace, not of judgment, obtaining mercy for the past and grace for the present and future. So, I mean, the fact that we can just go boldly into that throne room of Christ or of God, excuse me, and um, just literally approach that throne in the same way Jesus can and does and did. 
it's pretty amazing stuff. Um, we're going to look now quickly at Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. So, I mean, that's just right there. Paul is just saying, you know, he's confident that they will maintain their fruitful activity until Christ returns. He bases his belief not on their own faithfulness, but on God's purpose and faithfulness until Christ returns. Again, it's nothing we do, nothing we can do, but it's the fact that God has given us the um, salvation through Jesus Christ to overcome every trial, test, and tribulation that we will ever face in life. It's quite an amazing thing that God did, you know, Jesus being the perfect lamb of God that resists all evil, does not, never gave in to any temptation. I mean, that's the strength that we can call upon to resist, to make sure that we are able to overcome anything that life throws at us and reminding us that we go boldly into that throne room of grace, not judgment, because we are his children. So like, you know, any any king, any um, ruler, they have a special relationship with their kin, with their family. So although any stranger can't just walk up to the, the king in his throne, the children can. They can run around the king and run around the throne. And we are to have reverence and respect for our God and our Father. But at the same time, we have that very same rite of passage, if you will, as a next of kin or family member, that we can go boldly into that throne room and we can make our requests and supplications to God in his will. And he will listen and provide what we need when we need it. All right, so we're going to finish up in Romans. We're going to start with uh, Romans chapter 5. We're going to look at verses, or excuse me, we're going to finish up there, but we're going to first start in Romans chapter 8. We're going to look at chap, uh, chapter, again, Romans chapter 8, verses 28 to 39. So, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. Quickly looking at that word from verse 28, for his purpose, that word purpose is translated prothesis. 
from pro, before, and thesis, a place, thus a setting forth. The word suggests a deliberate plan, a proposition, an advance plan, an intention, a design. Of twelve occurrences in the New Testament, prothesis is used four times for the Levitical showbread, literally the bread of setting before. Most of the other usages point to God's eternal purposes relating to salvation. Our personal salvation was not only well-planned, but demonstrates God's abiding faithfulness as he awaits the consummation of his great plan for his church. So, I mean, people argue about predestination all the time. You know, did, you know, did God sit there and say, you're saved, you're saved, you're not, you're saved, you're not, you're not, you're not, you're saved. Absolutely not. Basically what it says is that God predestined, preordained. He had this plan, this idea of salvation before the foundations of the earth. How that all works is an absolute mystery to me, you know, I mean, but given the fact that we all have a free will means that God um, definitely provided and provides a way out through salvation, through his son, Jesus Christ, to everyone. And we make our own choice as to whether or not we will accept Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior or commit the unpardonable sin and say what God, the Holy Spirit is doing is not of God or wasn't of God and reject that plan. And that's where people's names are removed and blotted out from the book of life, or your name is in the book of life and you enjoy eternal salvation. Again, God definitely knows who was going to choose him and who was not, but he doesn't violate our will. He doesn't overtake us or make us, you know, receive Christ. <laughs> I can say that, you know, God does not, he is not the author of confusion. He is not the author of evil. He, again, he undergirds us. He strengthens us. He encourages us because he's our good father. He wants a relationship with us. He doesn't want robots walking around saying, yes, God, no, God, you know, that's not life. That's not humanity. That's not ever was never the intention of God. But the free will that he gives us allows us to choose or reject Christ. And again, that predestined plan is foreknown by God. But we are not influenced or made to accept Christ in any shape, form, or fashion. It's do we choose to acknowledge Christ or do we choose to reject Christ? If you choose to acknowledge him, all the goodness that comes along with salvation is yours. If you choose to reject him, all the curse and all of the um, ultimate penalty for rejecting Christ will also be yours. So we will all be rewarded based on that single decision. Thankfully, it's not based on our own efforts, deeds, thoughts, or actions per se, once you accept Christ, because thankfully, once we accept Christ, we're covered in the blood, we are forgiven, grace is bestowed upon us, and we can walk out what God has for our lives. So speaking of that, let's finish up here again. Romans, we are in chapter 8, verses 31 to 39. 
What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So looking quickly at that um, term, more than conquerors, means from Hooper over and above and Nikeo to conquer. Hooper Nikeo. The word describes one who is super victorious, who wins more than an ordinary victory, but who is overpowering in achieving abundant victory. This is not the language of conceit, but of confidence. Christ's love conquered death, and because of his love, we are Hooper Kaneko. Amen. And we are going to look quickly at the notes for, again, Romans chapter 8, verses... 28 through 39. Even in hardship and suffering, even in bitter disappointments, even when wrongly treated, Christians can know that God will work ad amidst such situations to fulfill his good purpose in his children. The situation may or may not be directly changed by God, but even if situations stay difficult, God guarantees ultimate good results, including maturation of character to those who are called. Note, the, cert the certainties of this verse must be kept in union with the responsible participation into which we enter with the Holy Spirit, described in verses 26 and 27. And looking here at the notes for, again, Romans chapter 8, verses 29 and 30, the conjunction for introduces the reason for the assurance of verse 28. Paul looks to eternity past and sees that God's purpose for his people has not, or excuse me, has only been good. He foreknew and predestined believers to be like Christ. Then he looks to the recent past and sees that God called and justified his people. Finally, Paul looks to the distant future and finds that God's plan is to glorify, that is, to give a resurrection body to all who have been justified. Glorified 
is used as a prophetic perfect, speaking of a future event as if it were already done, because it is certain that God will do it. But if an eternity passed, if in the recent past, and if in the distant future, all of God's purposes for his people have only been good, then Paul concludes that his purposes at the present time, even in hardship, must also be only good for his people, for new. Not just that God knew that we would exist or knew some fact about us because it is persons whom God foreknew. It may be paraphrased, those whom God thought of in a personal saving relationship, predestined, planned that they would ultimately be like Christ, conformed to the image of his son. These two verses outline a sequence of events and indicate that everyone who has begun the sequence will complete it. Amen. How comforting is that? (laughs) Paul defiantly and triumphantly raises five unanswerable questions designed to give believers a profound assurance of spiritual security. It is Christ who will be the judge over all the earth, but he will not condemn us. And even now he makes intercession, brings requests to God the Father for us. For any Christian who is discouraged, this powerful passage gives assurance of Christ's present love, active at every moment in the Christian's life. Are any causes of discouragement greater than those Paul mentions? And if not, then we are never in this life separated from Christ's love. Even in hardships, we can be more than conquerors. Amen. All right, so we are going to finish up with Romans chapter 5, verses 3 and 4, where it simply says, And not only that, But we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance, character, and character, hope. So there's a couple notes here. Um, Quickly, for again, Romans chapter 5, verses 3 and 4. And character, hope. When our Christian character goes through hardship, hope of receiving what God has promised grows stronger. So looking again at those verses, and not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces endurance and perseverance, approved character, and approved character hope. So the great hope that we have, you know, the faith that we have in the unseen is simply knowing that God is the author of our salvation. And when God begins a work, he completes a work. So don't ever get hung up on the current trials and tribulations that you're facing the tests that you're going through, because remember, there's a greater purpose in all of it 
to ultimately produce character and to produce hope. And there is no greater honor and privilege in this life than to be tested, tried, and to be put through the tribulations of life by our great high priest who went through everything we could go through and then some. So keep in mind, Jesus left heaven, went through all of the sick temptation and sin of this world that we go through, resisted it all so that we can now be called his children. So don't ever take that for granted. Rejoice, be happy in that. Thank God for that. And count it a blessing that we go through these tests, trials, and tribulations. So God bless. That concludes our look at, our first look anyway, at why we go through tests, trials, and tribulations in life. God bless and have a great day.